Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. Man, was worship not good this morning? Yes, it was. So good, so good. Hey, just a couple things before we jump into our message this morning. A couple things we want to celebrate. And uh, so we've got some birthdays. I just want to say um, happy birthday to Chuck. Chuck's birthday with Chuck Rowe was yesterday. And so he's holding it 49, he says. So uh, happy birthday, Chuck. Uh, today is Jackson's birthday, our son. He's 14. So big 14. And tomorrow is Steve's birthday. And he's holding it 40, 49 too. Is that what you're holding at? 49. 49? <laughs> so, uh, so happy birthday to those folks. What a great day uh, to celebrate birthdays. Also, a uh, big deal. Um, Chandler, who was just up here singing right where I'm standing, uh, he graduates from Police Academy. And so, yeah, so don't go speeding in Pikeville because he will give you a ticket. Uh, so, uh, so congratulations to Channel. That's a big deal. And then today, uh, also, we're celebrating communion. And so for those of you that are watching online, just want to give you a heads up. And so you can go ahead and grab some uh, crackers and juice or whatever you have at home so you can have communion with us later on. Uh, but we're going to have communion together today, and that's an amazing time, and what a great time to celebrate God's love for us. And speaking of God's love, today we're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Love Comes to Town, and I think this has been an incredible, I hope, it's been an incredible series uh, that has challenged us to love God and to love people in radically different ways. And, uh, and so I hope that, uh, my hope has been that after today, that you just won't leave here saying, well, that was a cool series, and now, you know, the bumper was pretty cool driving to church, and finally we get there, and, and, uh, and you won't have to hear that again. Uh, this is the last Sunday for that, but I hope that you think this was more than just a cool series. Uh, I really want you to leave here, and my prayer has been that you will leave here um, thinking that this is a start, a new start to a new way of living and a new way of loving, not just loving God, but loving the people around us, and so that's why today... Uh, I want us to look at our final uh, message, which we're calling Everlasting Love. And we're going to talk about today, Everlasting Love. And we're going to talk about how do we make love last a lifetime? Uh, how do we make love flow from us naturally and organically? And so before we jump in, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Let's just spend a moment real quick uh, in prayer, inviting God's Spirit to be with us. Would you pray? God, we just thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for this gift that you've given us called your Word. And God, your Bible tells us that your word is living and active. And Father, so it is alive and it has something to do with us today. And so Father, I pray that as we talk about your love this morning, God, that you would remove the blinders from our eyes, you would unplug our ears, and you would soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us today. Because God, I believe with all of my heart that you have a word for every single person in this room. So, Father, would you speak to us today? And, Lord, before we go, I, I would I'd just be remiss to not pray for, uh, for the folks in Europe, for Ukraine, and for the millions of people that have been displaced because of the conflict that's happening there. Father, we get to come here, and we get to worship, and we don't have to worry about the building next to us blowing up. You know, we don't have to worry about soldiers barging in and, and disrupting our worship service. God, we don't have to be in fear of our lives. But, Father, that's not the case in Ukraine. And, Father, so we pray. We pray for peace. We pray for resolution. God, we pray that you would be with those people uh, in this time right now. Father, we love you. And, God, we are just so grateful that you love us. And, God, your love for us is never-ending. God, your love for us is unconditional. And your love for us is new every single day. 
So God, thank you for that. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. In your name we pray, amen. So everlasting love. And, uh, and when we talk about everlasting love, I think that you need to know that this is the way that God loves us. And I hope that you know. And if you don't know, I want you to know that God's love for you is an everlasting kind of love. Uh, God's love for us, let me just give you some adjectives. God's love for us is eternal. God's love for us is unchanging. And our God's love for us is not dependent upon our behavior, right? Like there's no hoops that we have to jump through to, to get God's love. That God's love for us is the same yesterday as it is today, as it will be tomorrow. God's love for us is never ending. It's everlasting. And that's how God loves us. And, and we often wonder, I don't know if you wonder, I wonder, how can we love other people in the same way that God loves us? Like, how can our love be unconditional for other people? How can our love be never-ending? How can our love be unchanging? How can our love for others be not dependent on their behavior? Like, think about that. God's love for you is not dependent on how you behave today. He loves you, period. And how do we love other people in the same way? And if God loves us that way, how do we do that? And, and I'm here to tell you, you might be thinking, well, that's impossible. But I want you to know that we were created in the image of God. And because we were created in the image of God, loving people in the same way that God loves us is in our DNA. It's in us. It's in, we have the ability. I mean, think about it. Our culture is built around this idea of love. We talk about love all the time. Uh, we, we've got love songs. People are writing love songs left and right, and there are so many love songs on the radio. You listen to the top 10, most of them are love songs. Or look at your movies. We have so many movies out there about love. When they're not about Freddy Krueger or Jason, they're about love, right? And so we have all these loves. And, and, and how do you think the Hallmark Channel stays in business, right? Because of love. Because people want to watch a good love story. And this idea of everlasting love, uh, we build rituals around it and symbols around it. As a matter of fact, uh, one interesting one is found in Paris, France, and, and there's this thing called the Love Bridge. Now, I've never been to Paris, but I assume it's there. I'm believing it. It's on Google. You can find it, so it must be true. But there's this thing called the Love Bridge. And what couples do is they, they will buy a lock, a padlock, just like this one, and they'll go to the bridge. And, and, and when they get there, they'll write their names on the padlock. So if me and Jen went there, we'd write Rick on one side, maybe Jen on the other, and permanent marker. And, and then they'll take the lock, and they'll lock it to the bridge. And then they'll throw away the key in the river to symbolize that their love for one another is unbroken, that their love for one another is permanent, and that their love for one another is got, not going anywhere, that it's locked in that their love is locked in. As a matter of fact, this tradition of locking this, uh, these locks to, to the bridge became so popular that in 2015, um, the people of Paris, the government, they had to outlaw it. And they had to outlaw it because it was causing the bridge to become unstructurally sound, or structurally unsound. And the weight of the locks, believe it or not, was causing the metal to fold in of its, on itself at the bridge. Because so many people were fascinated with this idea of creating this ritual that represented that their love for one another was locked in. 
And so why do we do stuff like that? Why do we do crazy stuff like uh, travel all the way to Paris with a padlock in our, in our suitcase, right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's vendors around that you can buy one of these in Paris. But why do we do stuff like that where we write our names on a lock and we lock it to a bridge and we take the key and we throw it into the river to re- symbolize that our love is never ending. It's locked down. And I think it's because we have this idea. We have this idea built in us that love can be undying, that love can be eternal, or that love can be everlasting, a love that can be locked in and not going anywhere. But it's not just a romantic kind of love that we're looking for. We want this love to to happen in in our friendships, We want this love to happen in our relationships with our families, too, with our relationship with our parents and our sisters and our brothers and our friends. We want a love, a kind of love that's locked in, a dependable kind of love, a love that we know that's always going to be there. And that's why it's so sad that when we look around the world, there seems to be this massive gap, this huge gap between everlasting love and what reality is. That we often put demands on love. That we often say, you know what, there's conditions to my love. That if I'm going to love you, you have to do A, B, and C for me. That our love for one another is not the same as God's love for us. And we don't have to look very far for evidence of this. I mean, just take marriages alone. In the United States, the divorce rate in America is uh, for first-time marriages is about 40%. In other words, about one out of every two marriages, according to statistics, is going to end. And if you go on to second marriages, it's even higher than that. That if you're getting married for the second time, the divorce rate is 62%. And then if you go on to third marriages, it's even higher than that, that the divorce rate is 73%. Now, I don't bring this up to condemn divorces or to talk about marriage, but I think it's a good reminder. I think it's a good reminder for us that we need to learn how to love one another better. That we need to learn how to love one another God's way. That our love for one another needs to be locked in. And, I, and the reality is that people today, people today are less likely to get married than any time in history. And I think part of it is because the culture has become disillusioned with this idea of everlasting love. They don't believe in everlasting love anymore. They believe that it's a unicorn or some rare gem, that it just happens to a few special people. Yet I think many of us still desire and have glimpses of everlasting love, not just in romantic relationships, but everlasting love in friendships and everlasting love in our relationships with our families. I think of my own friendships, and I was thinking about this this week. I have two friends from seminary, and so we, we all went to seminary together in Dayton, Ohio. And so we would travel to Dayton, Ohio about three times a year, and we just became instant friends. And one of them is Wade, and he's from New Jersey. The other one is Matt Smith, and he's from Prestonsburg, Kentucky. And then I, there was me from Tampa Bay, Florida. 
And we would come together and we would do life together in our week and a half or week at seminary. We would, we would stay at the same hotel so we could hang out together. We would eat meals together. Uh, we would hang out even at seminary together. We would take classes together. And we just built this bond. And we became true brothers. Uh, and, and we would do anything for the other. Just last week, uh, my friend Wade from New Jersey, his dad died. And we began this just texting frenzy, and, and we began to, uh, the group text, and we just, me and Matt just started to encourage Wade as much as we can, and we prayed for Wade, and we were there for Wade. I said to Wade, I said, listen, man, if you need me, I'll be on a plane tomorrow, and I'll be there. You just tell me what you need. Because there's this bond, there's this everlasting love, there's this love between men, this, this friendship that's locked in. That I know that I can count on Matt. Matt knows that he can count on me. Wade knows that both of us will be there for him at, at, a, at a moment's notice. Because our love for one another is unconditional. Because our love for one another is locked in. And so this is one of the, the, those battle-tested, time-tested friendships. Because if it wasn't Wade, it's been Matt. If it hasn't been Matt, it's been me. And all of us have been in moments where we needed the others to step in and to pray and to love on each other. And you know, many of us though have relationships that we thought would last, but they didn't last. Maybe we've had friendships that we thought would be friendships forever and they fell apart. Or maybe your family stopped talking to you after you married that girl or that guy. Or maybe that marriage that you thought would be forever ended. We've all experienced heartbreak, and it makes us wonder this question. How do we make love last a lifetime? How do we build relationships that last forever because they're built on love? Not just romantic relationships, but in all of our relationships. How do we make love last a lifetime? So let's get back to where we started this whole thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, I just want to encourage you to open them up. We're just going to look at one verse today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. And remember, Paul, he's defining, he's, he's giving his diction, dictionary definition of what love is. Not romantic love, but what God's love is. How we should love one another no matter who that other person is. And in this treaty, in this definition, he writes in verse 7, he continues and he says about love, he says, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Now, what word is there four times? Always. Always. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes and always perseveres. I hope that you know today that God always loves you. Because love always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So what insights can we gather from this one simple verse about everlasting love? And I think that as we wrap up this series, I think this verse does a great job for us. And the first thing that I think that we see about everlasting love is this, that everlasting love is a choice. Everlasting love is a choice. Look at verse 7 again with me. It says, um, love always protects. 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Those four words, protect, trust, hope, persevere, those four words are all verbs. They're all action words. They are things that you do, not feelings that you feel. They're things that you do. You see, everlasting love is a choice. It's a choice that we choose to manage day in and day out. You see, it's a choice that we make to love the person next to us every day. We choose to love our parents. We choose to love our brother and sister. We choose to love our friends. We choose to love our spouse. We choose to love our boyfriend or our girlfriend. And we often think that love is some emotion that we feel. But a love that's locked in is a love that chooses to lock in. It's a love that says, I choose to love you no matter what, right? I choose to love you, period. And every day I choose to love you and I choose to serve you. And there are some days where it may be hard for us to choose because maybe that other person, whether it be a parent or a spouse or a brother or a friend, sometimes they're hard to love. But everlasting love is a choice that we make to choose to love them no matter what. Whether it's your brother, your spouse, your friend, your significant other, you choose to love them over yourself. Some of us need to hear that. That we choose to love that other person over our wants, our needs, our desires. And this is one of the most powerful keys to everlasting love, to recognizing the fact that love is a choice. It's a choice that we make. Everlasting love is choosing to listen rather than to being heard. Everlasting love is choosing to do what the other person wants rather than what we want to do. Everlasting love is choosing to listen to them rather than saying what you need to say. Here's an example. It's like, let's just say you had a great day. Let's say your day was amazing. You had so many amazing stories, uh, great stories happened during your day. You had so much stuff, good stuff happened to you, and you can't wait. You can't wait to get home to tell that special person or that, that mom or that brother or that friend or that roommate uh, that what an awesome day you had. And as you bust through the door and you're ready to tell them all the good stuff that happened, you notice, you can see that they had an extremely rough day. Maybe they're sitting on the couch and they're crying. Maybe you could just see it in their face that something horrible has happened. And so instead of being heard, instead of telling them your great news, you choose to stop and to pause and to listen to them. You see, here's what I want you to know. Everlasting love, a love that's locked in, it's a sacrificial kind of love. It's putting the other's needs before your own. It's putting your friend's needs to, 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 to unload their horrible day in front of you telling about your great day. It's choosing to love others over yourself. You see, everlasting love, the Bible says it's, that it's patient and it protects. That means that love doesn't rush ahead, but it is patient with the other person, not pushing for its own way, but choosing rather to protect the other person. You see, everlasting love is a choice. And the second thing I want you to know about everlasting love is everlasting love expects the best. 
Everlasting love expects the best. When you look at this passage, we see two words that Paul uses. He uses the word trusts and he uses the word hopes. And it reminds us that love just isn't about the present, but it's also about looking to the future and looking to the future in a hopeful way because everlasting love hopes for the other person. And I think one of the hardest things for us to do is to expect the best in other people. It's hard for us. Like we're a suspicious culture. Like we're looking for where the strings are attached. We're like, hmm, what angle are they trying to get on me? They're being extra nice to me today. I wonder why that is. And we're suspicious people. We've been hurt in the past maybe. I think this is for me, this is the reality that I've been hurt in the past and so I tend to always have my guard up, right? I tend to keep people at an arm's length. I, I tend to be wondering what's in it for them. Why are they being so kind to me? What are they trying to do? What's going on behind the scenes? In our culture, we're suspicious people. But if we're practicing everlasting love, we got to choose to trust. We got to choose to see the best in other people. We got to see that everlasting love is being willing to come alongside others to help them to fulfill their potential. Because remember, it's sacrificial. And so we put our needs second and we put their needs ahead of ours. And so we always want to help that person see their best potential. See, everlasting love doesn't just tell it like it is, but everlasting love tells it like it could be. When's the last time you spoke to somebody that you're close to and, and, and spoke uh, hope into them? When's the last time you said, imagine what it could be like? You see, it casts, everlasting love casts vision for a better future. And we use this kind of language here at Warehouse all the time. What do we say? Michael says it on the video every Sunday morning before we get started. He says, we want, to be, uh, we want to be a church that meets people right where they're at and help lead them to where God wants them to be. That's our hope. We want to be a church that, that accepts people right where they are. Like it doesn't matter what you wear here. It doesn't matter what kind of attitude you have when you come in the door. It doesn't matter what color hair you have. It doesn't matter if you've got tats or not. It doesn't matter if you've got uh, Converse on or, 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 or patent leather shoes. It doesn't matter. We're going to love you right where you are. But our hopes and our dreams are is that we're going to help lead you to where God wants you to be. Because that's what God's love does. God accepts us just as who we are and then says, hey, but I got something better for you. I got something better for you. And so, in, in other words, God has a better future for you. And we want to help you discover what that is and why. Because we love you. Because God loves you and because we love you. And this is so countercultural. Like, so many people walk through the door, they come to church, and they're like, okay. When are they going to ask for my money, right? They're suspicious. What's the angle? They just want, to, they just want numbers. They just want, they're just worried about numbers. And we think about that. But that's not here. We're not interested in numbers. We're not interested in your money. What we're interested in is in you discovering God's best for your life. And why? Because God loves you and so do we. You see, living in such a way that we give people the benefit of the doubt, that's the goal. Choosing to live in trust rather than suspicion. When you lead with trust, you build relationships. When you lead with suspicion, you break down relationships. 
And so loving like this, it's not easy. It's not easy. And sometimes you get hurt in the process because sometimes loving people this way is messy. But it's a choice that we make. It's a decision that we make every day. It's the kind of love that expects the best of other people. So everlasting love expects the best. And the last thing I want you to know about everlasting love is this. That not only does everlasting love expect the best, but everlasting love endures the worst. Think about that. Everlasting love endures the worst. While it always expects the best, it also always endures the pain and the suffering and the bad times and the hard times. It endures the worst. Let's look at our passage one more time. Verse 7, uh, Paul says it trusts and it hopes. Uh, if trust and hopes are talking about the future, then protects and perseveres is talking about the here and now. And so everlasting love is a love that protects. Like we're protecting Wade right now. We're praying for him. We're protecting for him in this moment. It protects and it perseveres. That when things go south, when things get sideways, when things aren't going the way we want it to, it perseveres. Everlasting love doesn't give up. Everlasting love doesn't say, you know what? I quit. I'm done. Everlasting love perseveres. It hangs on. It holds on. Listen, we've given God so many reasons to not love us, and yet he continues to love us because everlasting love perseveres. So how do you get through it right now? How do we do that? Well, everlasting love protects. The word protect in Greek is the same word that the Greeks use for the word roof. Roof over your head. What does a roof over your head do? It protects you. It protects you from rain. It protects you from snow. It protects you from storms. It protects you from the weather. It protects you from uh, the sun. It protects you from so many different things. A roof protects us from the elements. And that's what everlasting love does. It protects. And when we're in the midst of hard times, everlasting love will put up with anything. Listen, when your friends are down, when your friends are struggling, and when you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this one more day, you choose to because everlasting love is a choice, and you choose to persevere. You choose to hang in there with them. You push through the hard times. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. It leads with patience. It says, I know that this is going to be a hard season, but I'm going to persevere. I'm going to hang in there. And we don't know when the hard times are going to end, but we can trust that God is leading us in the midst of those struggles because love is patient and because love perseveres with the other person. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4 says in verse 2. It says, always be humble and gentle. And then what does it say next? Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Paul was a smart man. He said, listen, you got to be humble and you got to be gentle in love, but you got to be patient with other people. And here's why. Because everyone's going to screw up from time to time. Everyone's going to make a mistake. None of us are perfect. We're all going to have days that we wish we didn't have. And Paul says, make allowance for that because of why? Because of your love. People will always let us down. Even well-intentioned people will. But what patience does is it says, I'm going to endure it 
because that's what everlasting love does. It endures the hard times. You see, no matter how hard it gets, everlasting love is locked in. And it's locked in for the long haul. My mom taught me about everlasting love a long time ago. I was thinking about it this week. It's been 34 years since my dad was killed. 34 years ago. And I am absolutely convinced that I could not be standing in front of you today if my mom didn't practice everlasting love. Because everlasting love does what? It endures the worst. You see, while my mom was grieving the loss of, her lo of the love of her life, she was enduring the grief of this angry 17-year-old kid. She endured because her love was locked in for her son. It would have been really easy for my mom to say, you know what? You can't get with the program, so you're going to have to move out. It would have been easy for her to do that. It would have been easy for my mom to say, you know what? I think it would be best that we sent you away to military school. It would have been easier for my mom to say, you know what? You're just grounded for life. Just don't come out of your room forever. But she didn't do that. My mom endured the bitterness and the anger and the ugliness of her 17-year-old son while grieving the loss of her husband because her love was locked in. And where did she learn that from? She learned it from Jesus. She learned it from Jesus because she experienced the love that Jesus had for her and she knew that God's love for her was unbreakable and she knew that God wanted her to love me in the very same way. You see, her love for me was locked in because her love for God was locked in. Church, that's the picture of what everlasting love is. It would have been so easy for my mom to quit being my mom. It would have been so easy for her to say, I throw my hands up and I'm done. But she didn't. She never stopped loving. And here's the deal. A lot of you feel like God has given up on you. You feel like God's thrown up his hands and saying, I quit, I'm done, I can't deal with you anymore. But I want you to know today that God's love for you never ends. That when you say yes to Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, your love is locked in. And he takes the key and he throws it away. Because he loves you. His love is always locked in. You see, God's love is not some fairy tale. It's not all about rainbows and unicorns. It's a real kind of love. And our love is a choice that we make every day. It's a choice that we make every day to love others as Jesus has loved us. I heard the pastor Andy Stanley, he's some, some pastor of some little church in Georgia, and he said this. He said, you've been called to do one thing. You've been called to do one thing supremely well, and that's to love to love God and to love others. I mean, isn't that how Jesus chooses to love us? He, choose, he chose to love us at great cost to himself. With great sacrifice, Jesus chose to love us. While we were still enemies of God, the Bible says that he chose to come and to rescue us. 
His love for you, church, is locked in. I hope you know that. I hope that you know that God's love for you is locked in and Jesus has thrown away the key. There's nothing that you and I can do to exhaust the love that God has for you. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of, 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 of anger and bitterness that can cause God to say, you know what? I was just kidding. I don't love you anymore. I quit. God will never say those words. When Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and for me, he painted an exact picture of what eternal love looks like. He made a choice to love you. He chose to go on the cross on your behalf and on mine. You see, Jesus didn't just say, love others, but he modeled it. He modeled it for us so that we would do the very same thing. His love for us is sacrificial, and our love for him and for others should be the same. As a matter of fact, here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that you and I, that we would forget, that we would forget what his love looks like. He knew that we would get distracted, we would get busy with life, that we would get um, bogged down by depression. He knew that we would get addicted to things. He knew this. He knew that we would forget about his great love. He knew that our vision would become impaired. And because he knew that we would forget, he created some space. He created some space in our lives so that we would remember his great love for us. He created this opportunity for us to come so that we would know and remember how to love him and how to love others. And we call it communion. You see, Jesus gave us the gift of the Lord's Supper a time in the life of the church for us to be reminded of his great love for us that was revealed in his death and resurrection. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says these words, he says, For I have received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, for that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, remember my love for you. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so this morning, church, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come to the table, but I don't want you to come just only to remember God's great love for you, but I also want you to come so that you might be renewed in that love, so that you might be made new, so that you might go forth from this place and love others in the very same way that God loves you. That as you come and you take the bread and you take the juice and you, and you take those things, you not only remember God's great love for you, but you allow that moment to renew within you, to rekindle within you a desire to love God and to love our neighbor. And we want you to know this, that you don't have to be a partner or a member of Warehouse Church to participate in this meal. The only thing that we ask is that you would come to the table 
wanting more of Jesus in your life. That you come wanting more of him in your life. And if you're, if you're not wanting more of Jesus in your life today, that's okay. Just don't come to the table. Just sit and enjoy the moment. But if you're hungry, if you're hungry for more of Jesus, you come. And I invite you to come with a heart of repentance. A heart of wanting to remove the sin from your life so that you can make more room for God's love in your life. And so at this time, I just want to invite our advisory board and those helping with communion to come forward. And as they come, I just, I want you to pray with me. Let's just pray. Father God, as we come to your table today, Lord, God, as we come to this table to be reminded of your love, we praise you. And we thank you for the love that has shown to us through the life of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for Jesus' life. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you for him coming to announce the good news of your great love for us. That he came to, to uh, lift up the downtrodden. God, that he came to heal the sick. That he came to love the loveless. And God, we thank you for his sacrificial death upon the cross so that the world might be rescued. God, for raising him back to life again as a foretaste of the glory that we all will share. God, we give you thanks today, Lord. We give you thanks for this bread and for this juice as symbols of our world and signs of your transforming love in our lives. God, would you send your Holy Spirit today, we pray, that we may be renewed, Lord, we may not only remember, but we may be renewed into the likeness of you and formed into your body. We pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. So in just a moment, we're going to distribute the elements and these amazing folks up here that lead our church, they're gonna go to stations. There'll be one station right here where I'm standing. There'll be two halfway uh, in the middle there. And you come and you get a, a cup and you get some bread and you take it back to your seat. And once everybody has the bread and everyone has the cup, then we'll, we'll eat together. And why do we eat together? Because we're better together. We're better together. So 